high end where these new new trucks, cars are able to I think they call it super cruise where you hit the super cruise button when you're on the highway and the thing will drive itself but the driver still pushes the turn signal the truck will move over into the next lane to pass and then you hit the other turn signal and it'll bring itself back over at cruising speed man that's cool it's not a hundred thousand dollars cool but it's pretty cool but I, I don't want to be like okay God I'm going to set this thing on super cruise but I'm still going to flip the switch I'm still going to tell you that, this, that we're merging left or we're merging right it's easy to do If you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight. Let's see if this throws you off like it just threw me off when I look down at this. I've got several different Bibles and I study from two of them and then I use one in the pulpit and I just look down and said, the second book of Moses. Whoa called Exodus Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 says and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on. Let us deal wisely. That word wisely does not mean wisely like you and I just read it with them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of the land therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities Python and Ramses. They set over them taskmasters. They built for Pharaoh treasure cities. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man hath found he hideth and for joy thereof goeth 
and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. I'm going to preach tonight just for a little bit. Treasure seekers. Treasure seekers. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all you have done in this place, this house tonight. God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way. God, that you would confirm your word tonight. That you would anoint this atmosphere with a special touch of the Holy Ghost. Help us to walk in the anointing, God. You've anointed us. You've appointed us. Help us to walk in it. Help us to see it. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that your will would be accomplished in this place tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Exodus chapter 1. And verse 7 allows us to see that over a, a long period of time, this family that Joseph had invited to live with him in the land of Egypt has grown from a mere 70 individuals to... Verse 7 says that they were fruitful. They increased abundantly. And as if increasing abundantly was not enough, they also multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. You almost see different levels of growth in verse 7. They were fruitful. That means they were having children. They increased mightily, almost as if their, their flocks and their herds were growing as well. Their businesses were being blessed. And they weren't just having children, but they were multiplying. Everything about them was growing. They were growing familially they were growing financially they were waxing exceeding mighty they were becoming aware of who they were they were starting to see the promises that God had given to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob it's it's almost as if they were starting to see that in their mind. That this is what God was speaking about. We, we came in as 70, but now we are a mighty host. But there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. If you were to study out verse 8, you would find that many believe that it was not just uh, that he knew not Joseph, but uh, there was outside influence there that, that brought in a new king and to the point where he did not just 
was not just unfamiliar with Joseph as the man, but also unfamiliar with the years of plenty and the years of famine, that he did not know the depths to which God had used Joseph. So it wasn't just that he didn't know Joseph, but that he was unfamiliar with the hand of God that had been upon Joseph. And so he takes over as king. Uh, there are some scholars that believe that that Pharaoh was actually Assyrian. But regardless of who it was, he knew not Joseph. But he comes in and he sees this people. And instead of seeing how the hand of God had used them, how the hand of God had used one of them to sustain the people of Egypt through famine, he looks at them and he says, they're more than we are. They're mightier than we are. He feared the growing power and the strength of Israel. And he said, come on, let us deal wisely with them. The word wisely there is an old word that actually means cleverly. He's not looking to be wise about it at all as far as spiritually spiritual wisdom goes. But he's saying, I want to make sure that these this group of people here does not grow out of proportion even more. That they are multiplying at a significant rate right now. But if we allow that to continue, then when there is a time of war, they are going to... Possibly, there is a possibility that they will side with our enemies. They will overthrow us and then they're going to leave us. So what did he do? He sent taskmasters over them to oppress them. He instituted forced labor. And so they were used then not just to make ordinary bricks and just to stamp out mud and to mortar and so on and so forth. But he used them to build treasure cities. Now, when you and I read the word treasure cities or the words treasure cities, we might think that he was building a, a storehouse for his jewels or for his gold, but you've studied it out further. It, it literally means he was building store cities. He was building or using them rather to build armaments, to build barracks, to build military forces or fortresses rather. And so this, this Egyptian Pharaoh that was so concerned that this group of people, if we allow them to continue to grow, if we allow them to continue to multiply and to come to themselves, then they'll realize that they are worth far more than just a little old land of Goshen. They'll realize that they're worth far more than just living amongst the Egyptians. But this is really a nation that's rising up amongst us. And we're saying this on this side of the book of Exodus. We understand the promises that God had given to them, whereas that Pharaoh did not. But He's saying, instead of allowing the opportunity for them to be used against us, 
I'm going to take that fear and I'm going to use them to squelch my own fear. I'm going to use them to build barracks. I'm going to use them to build munition storehouses. So it, it, these treasure cities would be places where munitions and weapons and food were stored for times of war. The people of Israel are being used to build strongholds for their enemy. And so first and foremost tonight, we need to understand that hell would like nothing more than for you to get so tangled up in seeking after treasure that you forget who you are. Satan wants to abuse you and wear you out to the point that you come to church so worn out that you don't have the energy to dig into the spirit because hell understands if they ever get a revelation of who they are they will leave us high they will leave us dry they will run ramshod over us. Hell wants you to be spent. Hell wants you to be absorbed. You know, it'd be one thing if he could use them to build cases for his diamond collections or his ruby stockpiles. Build treasure cities. He's saying, I'm going to use them to build something that's really necessary. I'm going to use them to go about the daily process of harvesting, storing food, building storehouses, building barns, constructing walled cities. I want to get them wrapped up into defense mechanisms. To the Egyptian mind, it would, it would just be normal for them to be prepared because of the, the empire and the level of empire that they were building at that time. And so it is that the spirit of the world would say, you know, I, I know that you want to pursue your identity in God, but I know you're not out there trying to get rich, building storehouses for diamonds and gold and silver and all of the spoils of war, but if I can get them on the defensive, if I can get them entangled with just making ends meet, if I can get them entangled with, with just 
trying to keep their mind right, with just trying to keep their, their thoughts straightened out. If I can just get them trying to recuperate from being worn out just from life itself, then they may not even realize that they're being used. They may not even realize because, listen, Israel, if we've got an enemy that comes against us, we're going to have to fight their, this enemy together. And so this storehouse, this uh, treasure city is just as much about you as it is about me. It's just as much about the land of Goshen as it is about the land of Egypt. Amen. It makes sense. Right. To logic, it makes sense. To analysis, that it's just got to be done. But then when the taskmaster steps out of the chariot with a whip in his hand, with pride and anger and just downright meanness in his eyes and a growl in his throat, all of a sudden now that seemingly necessary task of being prepared against a natural enemy takes on a completely different light when I don't have a choice of whether or not I'm going to be here. And I wonder at what point they began to realize. I believe it was like putting a, a, a frog in a boiling pot of water. I don't believe it just happened overnight. But they said, hey, why don't you come to work with me today? Hey, we're going to hire you to, to build this city. Hey, why don't we hire this group of people over here to make some blocks and make some bricks? Notice, he said, let's do it wisely. Let's do it cleverly. Because if we just came, he's already afraid that if they've got an enemy that comes against them, the Israelites are enough to whoop their tail and to conquer them and leave them hanging. He said, we can't do it that way. Let's get that one bill coming in late. Let's get that, that check running out before the month does. Let's get the money run out before the week does. Oh, well, you know what? You can pick up a few hours here. You can pick up a few hours there. And before you know it, you've got a taskmaster over you saying you have to, you have to, you have to. You don't have a choice in the matter. You've got to do it this way. It's the only way that can get done. Before you know it. Pot is boiling. The frog doesn't have the wits to jump out. In case you don't know what I'm referring to, if you took a pot of water and you started boiling it, and got it to the boiling point and you dropped a frog in it, the frog would instantly jump out. However, if you took that frog and put the frog in a pot of cool water on the same stove, on the same burner, and you just gradually started turning the heat up, that frog's body temperature would regulate itself 
to such a point and so far that by the time the water starts boiling, the frog doesn't understand what's going on because he's just adjusted along the way. But let me tell you today that the enemy of your soul is wants nothing more than to get you wrapped up and entangled with pursuing the wrong treasure wants to get you so worn out wants you to get to, to so abused that you don't have the energy when it comes time for church I'm just preaching about life tonight I'm just preaching about the real world tonight we've all been there we're all going to go there again we've all had those times we've all had those moments where we're walking through fog Trying to shake our eyes, trying to shake our head, trying to shake the fog off. I'm tired. I don't understand why I'm tired. I've been there recently. Try to do things throughout the day to conserve energy. Your mind's pulled in all these different directions. You're running here and you're running there. I'm going there tomorrow. Working from 9 a.m. then to 9 p.m. in Fort Wayne and then driving home. I get it. The enemy of your soul is going to put pressure on until you don't realize what's going on until it's too late. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those or them that diligently seek Him. It is a stark contrast we have God on one side who is a gentleman in every form and in every fashion who's saying come unto me all ye who labor and are heavy laden I will give you rest take my yoke upon you come and learn of me for my burden is easy my yoke is light we've got God over here saying please come to me and you've got hell over here saying I'm coming after you And God is over here and God is wanting to respect your free will. But hell is over here saying, I've got to work cleverly on them. I don't, I want to get into their world without them understanding because if they'll understand, if they see it coming, then they will be able to, to withstand. They'll submit themselves unto God. They'll resist the devil and I'll have to flee. live in a world full of people who are seeking treasure. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth. Another of the Gospels says he hideth again. And for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, 
and buyeth that field. That verse alone seems to indicate that he's buying a field with a treasure in it that the owner of the field doesn't even know about. And instead of kind of being an upright kind of guy and saying, hey, I was out with my metal detector and I found this in your field, uh, I think you're probably going to want this. He said, no, I'm going to go bury it again. I'm going to go sell everything that I've got and I'm going to go buy the field. It's that guy's problem if he doesn't know the treasures in the field. Jesus is telling his disciples that, that this treasure that we have called the gospel is worth selling everything in your world. And purchasing the field in which it is found. However, you and I obtaining the treasure involves purchasing the entire field in which the treasure lies. We can't simply accept the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ without embracing the fullness of the kingdom that is the field. I can't pick and choose part of the field. I can't just say, I want the treasure. I want to go, hey, how much you want for just this treasure? The kingdom of God is not a pawn shop. The kingdom of God is not a retail store. The kingdom of God is not a, a flea market. The kingdom of God says, listen, you can't just have one aspect of the kingdom of God. You've got to be willing to say, I want the treasure. And I know that the treasure is worth everything I have. And in order for me to get the treasure, I'll buy the entire field. There might be parts of the kingdom of God that are not comfortable to my flesh. There are going to be times in the church where it's not comfortable for my flesh. But the treasure that's in the field is worth every moment of discomfort. More than just the treasure of the gospel. You're wandering through life or marching through life walking through, driving through, flying through life, whatever. You're moving through life and you come to a field, whatever it is. Say, man, I think I'd really like to have that cow that's out in the middle of that field. That looks like a prize cow. That looks like a prize horse. You know, that looks like a gated it means he's built like a mule, but he walks and trots and runs like a horse. You can get good money for a gated mule. I know somebody that sold a gated mule for $30,000. I like to have that mule. But I got to stand on this side of the fence and say, you know what? I can't just have that mule. I can't just have that treasure. It's not just about the gospel. Say, man, you know what? I see my coworkers and they're out there doing that, this, and they're out there doing that, and they're out there living this way on the weekends. They're out there going, participating in this event. And there's some things out in the world that are really fun. 
they weren't fun, people wouldn't do them. But the fact of the matter is, I can't just go cherry pick in the world what I want. Just like the kingdom of God, I can't just come into the house of God and say, I want this, I want this, and I want this. It's not a buffet, honey. It's not an a la carte menu. I can't just come in and have the bits and pieces that make me feel good and make me comfortable. And it's the same way in the world. I might be able to choose my sin, but I'm also getting the entire field. I'm getting everything that is attached to that treasure. So every time I'm looking at a treasure, I've got to be able to count the cost of purchasing the entire field. There might be an oil well in the middle of that field. But if the rest of the field is filled up with landmines, it's going to change the way I think about the oil well. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, to the oyster, it started out as just a little grain of sand. I know this is Sunday school level tonight. And that oyster secretes whatever it is that he secretes. And it coats that grain of sand. Because that sand, that little tiny grain of sand is annoying the devil out of that oyster. And that pearl of great price came from an oyster's irritation. And this man is, is looking not just for a, uh, a treasure, but he's looking for a peculiar treasure, a pearl of great price. And when he finds that pearl, he understands, I know that it looks beautiful right now, but it didn't start this way. It started with an oyster's irritation, but the irritation was attached to the treasure. And so I'm willing to go and sell everything that I have because I understand the value that comes from this one irritation. I know it was un wasn't comfortable all of the time. I know that living for God is not always easy, but the kingdom of heaven is like a man that said, I'll see past the irritation. I'll see past the work of digging up the treasure. I'll see past the downside side of the field when it makes my flesh uncomfortable when it challenges me to become more when it challenges me to lay aside every weight and the sin I'm able to look at the field and see every message that's going to make me uncomfortable when the preacher's preaching every time he steps on my toes every time he bumps against my attitude and it's hard to swallow. I get that taste in my mouth. Man, I wish Pastor would 
preached out. Why is he asking me to pray again? Easier to do this other thing. It'd be easier just to. Man, why won't you just let that slide? Because we've got to understand that the treasure that's in the field is worth every rock in the field. It's worth every briar it's worth every thorn it's worth every thistle it's worth every irritation it's worth every callus it's worth every drop of sweat it's worth every blister that it takes to work the field it's worth every moment every minute behind that shovel it's worth every moment of searching through the marketplace of the world. And I'm looking here, and I'm looking there. I'm looking for this pearl of great price. And, and I found some other pearls, but they weren't quite what I was looking for. They brought some temporary satisfaction. And I found some shiny stuff over here that looked like it was gold, but it turned out to be fool's gold, and it's worthless. It's not worth anything. And I looked over there, and I looked over here, but then I found the pearl that I could tell just by looking at it. That one looks different. That one sounds different. That one shines a little bit differently than all the rest. I know it's bigger. I know it costs some more extra irritation, but it's going to cost me everything I have. It's worth that to me. I refuse to go down in history being bogged down by Pharaoh's agenda of just getting by because it makes sense. Kingdom of heaven. It's like unto a merchant man. When he found that pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had. Let me ask you tonight is the kingdom of heaven worth? Everything you've got. I mean, I know it is. I'm just... You know, in August we were looking at replacing our van and we had several different models that we were looking at. They were kind of different price categories and we were talking to the salesman about it. I said, listen, I know that that other vehicle is worth what you're asking as far as market value goes, I just don't know if it's worth it to me. He said, man, he, said, he just kind of looked at me funny. He said, I'm so glad that you said it like that. He said, people don't understand. I said, no, I get it. Is it worth that to me? I know the market says it's worth that. I know the book value says that it's actually worth a little more than that. But I, I, I'm trying to figure out my dilemma is, is it worth it to me, Sister Blaze? And so we lined them all up. It wasn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo, But we did catch the tiger by his toe. 
And I went over here and I sat in that one. I liked the way that one looked and I liked the way that interior was. I liked how that deal slid up and down and did all that stuff and all of the fun stuff. And we drove it. It's okay, you know. It's okay. It just, it would do. But when you look at the whole field, you got two teenage boys that like to eat. And it's a little tighter back there. So when we go on trips and so on and so forth, and you looking at the whole field. I know that one's worth it. I know this one's worth it. But is that one worth it for me? We go and sit in the other one, back and forth. And I look around amongst my peers. I'm not talking about in this building. I look at the life that they're living. And you see what what it looks like on Facebook as you're scrolling. Well, that looks fun. I wish I could do that. Oh, that looks like a good time. And you go and you look at it. But then you can't just look at the treasure. You got to look at the whole field. Jesus saith unto them in verse 51, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. This particular chapter has got like seven different parables. And he's, t- he's, he's pulled his disciples away. And he's saying, hey, listen, did all of that make sense to you? He's not belittling them. He's giving them an opportunity to ask questions. Does it make sense? Because if it doesn't, we'll talk about it. They said, yeah, it made sense. They say, okay, it makes sense. Let's move on a little further. He's told him about the kingdom of heaven being like the man who found treasure in the field, sold everything that he had. The kingdom of heaven being like a merchant man who's gotten the pearl of great price. He sold everything he's had to go and buy that pearl. And then he goes on and he says, if you want to be like those guys, then you're going to be like a scribe who has found a treasure which is the kingdom of God. And you're going to be able to, when someone comes into your home and they have need of the gospel, you can reach back in your treasure and you can pull out things that are new. You can pull out things that are old. There's going to be a certain measure of faith that's instilled in you. When you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, when you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, there are going to be some things that are imparted unto you. That's the treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It's tied to a field. And it's tied to a field. And he's saying, Brother Craig, listen, if you're going to be a man of God, then you've got to learn to not just see the one treasure, but go work the field. Because there's some new things in there that you've never seen before. 
every time you open the word of God you're like the man in the field and he's got his plow and he's got his shovel and he's got the basket for the rocks and he's saying I'm going to work this field every time I open my Bible I'm working the field every time I come to church I'm working the field every time I go to the prayer room I'm working the field I'm working the field I'm working the field I'm seeking treasure Because there's more in the Bible than just repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Saying everything or everyone who's instructed about the kingdom of heaven like they had been, like you and I are You're like a person who's bringing out of storage things that are old, things that are new, that are going to be presented at the exact right moment. There are going to be things of old that have been laid up for a long time. There are going to be things that are new that you've just acquired. Things that are new that say, you know what? I just read that verse for the 507th time. But did you see this? Did you see in 1 Samuel where Saul was prophesying naked? Now, this is a freebie. He was not really naked. He had shed his outer garments of kingly vesture laid on the ground prophesying his backslidden as crooked as a split rail fence but then you got David who did the same thing but David created the atmosphere Saul just happened to walk into it Saul, there's a treasure in the field. I know, but it's not worth my ego. It's not worth my stature. Samuel would look at him and say, you know, when you started out, Saul, you were pretty little in your own eyes. You read the same thing over and over again. The difference between Saul and David, even though they both had similar spiritual encounters, is that David created the atmosphere. Saul just walked in. Or you read the the verse again and you say, man, did you see where David ran to Samuel? So on. So forth. There's things that are old. Things that are new. That if I'm going to be a disciple, then I'm going to live this way. I'm going to treat the gospel this way. And yes, There are things that have been passed down from generation to generation to you and I from our spiritual fathers. But there's also a responsibility on our part to be like the man who found the treasure in the field and said, it's worth everything to me. It's worth my time. It's worth my talent. It's worth my treasure. Because that treasure is greater than my treasure.
if I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, there's a responsibility on my part to dig out the word of God for myself. There's going to be times where I've got to dig out in prayer on my own for myself that nobody else can do it for me. No one else can help me through it. I've got to pick up the shovel myself. I've got to have moments of personal revelation and the truth, whether it's new or whether it's old that I have gained. I can't keep it laid up. I can't keep it hidden in a back closet somewhere. But I've got to wait for the right season. I've got to bring it forth on proper occasions. I've got to share it with my neighbor because they're seeking a treasure. And I've got the answer. Seeking treasure. I'm moving quickly. I'm skipping a lot. Musicians, go ahead and come. Luke 12, 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He had said in verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus was not prohibiting have a nice thing. He was not prohibiting planning for the future. He said, you know what? Just let the future worry about itself. Plan for it. Don't dwell on it. Don't get so wrapped up in it that it affects you today. Plan for it. But make sure you're seeking the right treasure. Matthew 6.33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with all of that. That's not what we're preaching tonight. I want to make sure my priorities are right that I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 33, sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you and I consider our treasure is what will capture our hearts. I'm moving quick. Let's all stand. You can read in the book of Colossians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love and unto all riches with the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, he's telling them, 
You need to be seeking after God. Because in God, you'll find hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Now, we read that as a letter that was just written to the church at Colossia. It was not. There were three cities. Cannot remember the third one right now. But it was Colossia. This other one that I believe started with an H. And Laodicea does not start with an H. It's the third one. And you read Paul's writing where it says, hey, take this letter and go share it with the Laodiceans. And he would write letters to them and they would share it between the three cities. And he's telling them, I want to make sure that you know there's a great conflict inside of me and for those at Laodicea because I need you to understand that all of the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge can be found when you seek the face of God first. Laodicea out of the three cities was the most wealthy, the most comfortable, the greatest, the richest of those three. And you find in Revelation chapter 3, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God I know thy works thou art neither cold nor hot I tried to get you to understand through the writings of Paul I know the tricks and the wiles of the enemy I know that the analytical side says we got to do this, and we got to do this, and we got to do this, and, and this all has to be in order. But if we're not careful, Laodicea, then become lukewarm. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Knowest not that thou art wretched, or wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. White raiment that thou mayest be clothed. That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that, they, that thou mayest see. For as many as I love, I rebuke Jason. I know you wanted the salvation message. But you got to be willing to take the whole field. I know that you feel like you got it all, and it's, it's really, it's not about money at all. It was really about the fact that he's saying, I wish you had heard my voice because I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you'll hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in to you. 
I'll sit down and I'll eat with you and you with me. I'll show you the field. I'll show you the treasure. There's more treasure in the kingdom of God than we could ever imagine. I believe we've only scratched the surface. But it comes down to priority. God, what do I want more? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I know we've got to pay our bills. I know there's nothing wrong with making money and being well prepared and all of those things. I'm for all of that. We've got to be good stewards. I believe that God wants to bless His church so we can be an example to the world. I believe all of that. You know that. You know I believe that God wants you to be blessed so you can bless the kingdom. But that is what it's all about. I want to be blessed so I can bless the kingdom. I want to be blessed so somebody else can see the treasure in the field. I don't just want to see the one treasure, this just little nugget of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But I want to plow the field. I want to dig deep. I want to see what other treasures are in this kingdom of heaven. I want to sit with Him in high and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to experience His glory. I want to experience the depths. Find the mystery of God. we're not careful we'll get so wrapped up in the cares of this world that our walk with God will get choked out you gotta see the whole field you gotta see the whole field Is the treasure in the field worth everything you've got? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to ask yourself. Be honest with yourself. Is it worth it to me? I know it's worth it, Pastor. but is it worth it to you? I want to see the deep things of God, okay? That's in the field. Is it worth it to you to dig that out? Say, well, I know there's a a soul over here. There's a family over here that's in my field. Okay? Is it worth it to you to dig that out? Well, I believe that that individual, that's a a pearl of great price, okay? Are you willing to put up with the irritation until you can see the pearl? What if... This is my opinion. What if we're the oyster? What if he's the merchant? What if he's walking through my neighborhood? What if he's walking through my city and he's saying, hey, that soul right there, that's a grain of sand. 
I know there's a lot of irritation that's going to come along with winning that soul. But if you'll cover them in the secretion of prayer and fasting and Bible study. I want the pearl of great price, but what about the irritation? Is it worth it to me? Is it worth it to me? This altar is open whenever you, whenever you want to come. Ask yourself, is it worth it to me? Answer it. Answer that question in your own mind, in your own spirit, in your own heart. Is it worth it to me?